Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and to keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches there in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. And I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Theatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hell. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Cass. We are excited to jump in to this series. I'm Thomas Nelson. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Covenant, and it's my privilege to get to work with a bunch of you, the young adults. And uh, it, I was looking around the room tonight, and it's a great crowd, but it feels a lot like family, like all the conversations before the dinner gathering. And so we're just going to call this like a large living room Bible study. 
And uh, I'm going to confess to you right now, you are a part of the first time I have ever taught through the book of Revelation. So thanks for joining me. Here we go. Um, it's, uh, it's an incredible book. I understand in the preparation leading up to this, the preparation that will take place during this study, I understand why a lot of folks do not teach this book. And I, I think it's a shame, to be honest with you. It's an incredible book. So let's just see who here has sat through a teaching. Maybe you weren't there for every week, but you have been through an entire teaching on the book of Revelation. Let's see. That's what I'm talking about. All right. I, too, can raise my hand for that. Who has intentionally avoided the book of Revelation? Let's see those hands. These ha the first hands were like, I've been in Bible study. The second one were like, yep, hope you can't see that. Like, or at least the people around me, like a lot of those, a lot of that. Okay, yeah. So what Cash just read to you was the entire chapter one of the book of Revelation. Let's go ahead and just make a note. If you have your Bible, I want you to look at the last letter of the title of the book. Notice it is an N and not an S. We want to make sure if we're going to do a Bible study on the book, we want to call it by the right name. It's just one revelation, and it takes place in one setting. And at the very beginning, John is going to tell us what this revelation is, and then we're going to unpack it. Now, this book has 22 chapters in it. We are not going to go in-depth over all 22 chapters. This book also has multiple views. I'm primarily going to present to you the two main viewpoints that are floating around the Protestant church. I will tell you at times, this is the dispensational view. And then I will tell you at times that this is more the covenant theology view. And I'm going to let you pick where you want to land because I promise you on any of those issues, when we get to it, it is not going to change the fact that Jesus is coming back. And that is what we are looking at here. We are looking at the imminent return of Christ. And tonight we're going to see an incredible picture of him. Just to give you an idea of how much material is out there, we'll probably in eight weeks, if we do this for eight weeks, like four to five hours, probably five, five hours or so worth of material. Both of my parents went through a Bible study called Bible Study Fellowship, BSF. They studied the book of Revelation for 52 weeks. So to let you know, like we're skimming the surface here. And so just hang on. You can do it. We'll go through this together. It's going to be incredible. Um, but we are not going to plumb the depths that we could plumb. Uh, to give you an idea, I'm using one of the commentaries that I'm using right now for this study. It's been condensed from the original version. It's condensed to like a little less than 600 pages. The original version is 1,300 pages. So people have dug and dug and dug in this book. And folks have all kinds of views. There are, you'll see in here, there's like pre-millennial views. There's post-millennial views. There's all-millennial views. You're like, I don't know what the, any of those are. And some of you are like, I know which one I am. And some of you are like, I'm a pan-millennialist. It'll all pan out one day when he comes back. Like it will, it's going to work itself out. And so we're going to have a whole bunch of that. And you're going to learn what those words are as we go through this study. And you're going to learn how to have a, a knowledge of this book. Let me, just, let me just show you. I have three goals for our study over the next few weeks. I want, to, I want to give you a working knowledge of this book. I want you to be able to pick this book up. 
and be able to say, I think I heard something about that in Revelation, or I'd like to do a study in my small group, or I would like to do, I'd like to spend a month reading this in my own personal devotion, and you'll have somewhere to go. You'll know how to use this book. That is one major goal that I have for you. Uh, a second goal is that I want you to see that in this book, there is a Christian response. This is not an, an academic pursuit. This is a, a letter written to real churches that we are to learn from, and there are responses all through the book for the Christian life. And then lastly, and this is what I hope most, every week I hope that somebody just, they have this aha moment where you can't wait for the return of Christ. And you live in such a way that you, you hope when you wake up, maybe today is the day. And that, I hope, is coupled with a life that is full of joy and peace and the fruit of the Spirit. I, I hope it's a life that you're like, and I actually like this life, but I long for the day that Christ returns. So that's, that's my three goals. What you won't hear is the day that Jesus will return. We won't be making any bets, um, and we would lose anyway. There, there's, there's been some modern-day folks that have made predictions, and you should go and do a little, like, get on, get on the Google, like, rabbit hole and find out some of those, because they were all wrong. But then they were like, aha, I knew I was wrong, and they changed the date, and then they were wrong again and again, and then they eventually died, like all of them, but, um, and they were still wrong. There was, they did see Jesus though, um, just not the way they predicted. And so anyway, I, I think that we're going to have an incredible time looking through this. The way I'm going to go tonight may be a little different than other weeks. It may not. I don't have all of my teaching outlines for every week. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to, since Cass read the whole thing, I'm going to say a verse, a chapter. I'm going to say chapter one. I'm going to say a few verses. I'm going to give you a few points from that, and then I'm going to teach through it. And then we're going to go to the next movement and the next movement and the next movement. When we get to chapters two and three, you'll be like, Thomas, isn't it time to go? And it will be. So I'm not going to teach through chapters two and three, but we are going to cover the umbrella of the first three chapters because they all fit in the first movement. You will, however, be able to leave here tonight and say, I can study chapters two and three. Like, I'm ready. I can do this. So, ready? Without further ado, let's go. Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. What we're going to see in Revelation 1, 1 through 3, is that there's someone to know, there's something to see, and there are things to do. This is all couched in apocalyptic literature. The book Revelation, the word itself means, it, the word itself is apocalypse or apocalyptus. And so that's the Greek word we get this from. So the word revelation means a laying bare or a disclosing of the truth. So that should tell us right there what's happening. There is a laying bare in front of us what is going to happen. The whole rest of the Bible has been pointing towards Christ, pointing back to Christ. This is pointing to what will happen. It is a laying bare. That is what apocalyptic literature is. Some folks would tell you that one-third of the Bible is apocalyptic literature, and I don't think they're far off. I think that's probably pretty close. So one-third of our, isn't that sad that we stick with like the like, well, tell me how to have like a better day tomorrow. Like that's the stuff that we gravitate towards. We're missing a whole chunk of the Bible, which also means we've made a faith about ourselves and not about the one that started our faith. And so 
and that holds our faith together. So this is, there's, you're going to see there's something, someone to know, there's something to do, and, uh, and there's something to see. And so let's take a look, the first three verses. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show him to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even all that he saw. Blessed is the one. Listen to this. This is why I had Cass read this chapter out loud to us. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. I am reading it out loud right now. Blessed are those who hear. You are hearing the words of this prophecy. The third is still to be determined. And who keeps what is written in it, for the time is near. So blessed is the one who reads. Blessed are those who hear. And blessed are the ones who keep the words of this prophecy. Which means this isn't just knowledge. This isn't just calendaring. There's something for us to do as believers. And so there's so much in here that comes from other parts of the Bible. If you're taking notes... What you're going to see is you might see some of these footnotes, but already we're drawing from Daniel chapter 2, verses 28 through 30, 45 through 47 of Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 7 is also already included in this. It's this idea, this idea is, is being, it, that this is the start of what Daniel was going to predict in the Old Testament. So what we see in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, John is saying, here it is. Daniel was saying, one day these things are going to happen, and John is saying, they're happening. And so we're seeing this marrying of the Old and New Testament. No other book in the New Testament has as much Old Testament in it as the book of Revelation. This is why so many people undertake to teach Revelation or to study Revelation, and they just don't. They, they get about two chapters in, and they're like, I don't know what's happening now. They get to chapter four, and they're like, mm, this is, I'm out. Chapter 5, if they make it that far, they're like, I don't know what I just read. And then they're done. Then they get to chapters 6 and 7 and 8, and they're talking about, like, trumpets blowing, and there's plagues. And then this woman uh, has a baby, but then a, a dragon eats the baby. And they're like, I'm out. I'm out. Let's go back to, like, Proverbs. <laughs> and so... But look, we're going we're gonna to unlock some of these things. When you leave here tonight, just imagine you're going to have the beginning of a little imaginary key that you're going to be able to start unlocking some of these mysteries that are in this book. And so what we need to see here is that Jesus, this is the revealing of Jesus. And God is going to give this revelation to John. It could be John the Apostle. That's who I think it is. It could be another John, but I think it's probably John the Apostle. I can't prove it to you, though. And we're going to find out a little bit of his story in just a minute. But then we go to verse 4, and we're going to look at one through, or chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And in here, we're going to see the Trinity. We're going to see seven literal churches. We're going to see that this is a book of sevens. And then we're also going to see that this is the promise of the return of Jesus. So again, in these next few verses, we're going to see the Trinity. We're going to see a literal message to real churches. We're going to see a book, um, a book of sevens. And then we're going to see the promise of the return of Jesus himself. So let's take a look. I'll read it and then we'll walk through it. So we know this is the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you, peace from him who is, 
and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Let's start with the very last word, then we'll go to the first. The word amen. You're going to see it a few times in this book. It's probably one of the few Hebrew words that you all know. And you say it just like that, and they say it just like that. The word amen that you say after your prayers, it means so be it. So this section, talking about the coming and the judgment of Christ, ends with the idea, so be it. Let it happen. Now let's go back to to verse 4. So John is going to write to seven churches. This is a message to seven real churches, not seven figurative churches. This tells us a bunch as we start to open this. This letter cannot mean something to us that it did not mean to those churches. And so when we get into ideas of like helicopters and airplanes and all those kinds of things, we have to be like, maybe, but maybe not. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it won't take long. We'll get there in a few weeks. But this letter has to mean the same thing to us as it did to those churches, but it can also speak a bunch to us about what is coming. But we first need to see it in its, in its historical context. So here's a letter written to a bunch of churches. After John wrote it, he sent it out. And every church, all seven churches, got the same letter. So they got to read each other's mail. And that's chapters 2 and 3, the specific messages to those churches. Then he goes on, and we get this normal kind of epistle introduction. The the epistles are the letters that you find in the New Testament. And a lot of them, especially the ones from Paul, say things like this, grace to you. And peace to you. But then he's going to unveil the Trinity. And it's important how he says the Trinity. Because you're going to see the Trinity over and over again in this book. And all three members of the Trinity are going to have different descriptions at different times. But these are some of the names that are going to come up over and over again. So this is one of your first keys that you're going to get. You need to see that this is how the Trinity is mentioned. So let's see God the Father. God the Father is mentioned as who was and who is to come. I'm sorry, who was and who is and who is to come. That's God the Father. The second, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, let's pause real quick. A lot of people understand that the book of Revelation has a bunch of numbers in it. This is a book of sevens. You go all the way back. How many times did Joshua walk around Jericho when it fell down? The number seven on all these. How many times did Joshua walk around Jericho before the walls fell down? That's right, seven. How many days was creation done, including the Sabbath? That's right, seven. What you're going to see over and over again in the Bible is that the number seven means complete. It means it is completely perfect. It's just right. It's exactly how God intended it. That's why the number six 
is really bad. We're not done. You put the number six twice and it's like really, really bad. You put the number six three times and you get the picture. And we're going to see that in this book too. And so we have this book of seven. So you have the seven spirits around the throne. That's the Holy Spirit. And then verse five, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth. Now this part gives me goosebumps because we're about to get into a description of Jesus that you have not seen before. You know, like Jesus is mentioned as the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Psalm 22, not a bone was broken, but he was killed. We see Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see Jesus all the time. We're about to celebrate that moment in just a, just a couple of weeks as we go through Good Friday and Easter. We're gonna see Jesus on the cross. This is not the Jesus on the cross. You, are, you have seen him. And John celebrates the lamb who was slain but is alive. So we don't have a different Jesus here. But we don't have the suffering servant either. We have the complete picture of Christ in the book of Revelation. He suffered once. He won't do it twice. He has no need to go back to the cross. He has defeated, that could be him. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he has defeated sin. I'm sorry if that, I don't know whose that was. I'm sorry, that was mean. I didn't, sorry. Okay, now I know whose it was, Kyle. That's perfect. <laughs> he has defeated sin and death. Now he reigns and rules. And I love this. Why would it say this next little line in here, unless, it, unless we just didn't need it so bad? It says, to him who loves us. That's Jesus. He freed us from our sins by his blood. That's Jesus. He made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The reason this is in here is because we need to know the tribulation that we are about to go through, the tribulation and the persecution these seven churches are about to go through. We need to know that he loves us and yet he's going to let us go through this hard time. We need, to let us, we need to know that we are forgiven. He's not punishing us for our sins anymore. He's, he's redeemed us from our sins, but still the church is going to get pressed. And it's going to get pressed hard. We need to know that his grace will sustain us. We need to know that when times get really tough being called a Christian, that you are a kingdom of priests. He has made you that. And you've got to live in that. And walk in that. And you hold your head high in that. And the way you hold your head high is because you know that the one who rules the kings is the one who's calling you that. And that is great confidence. And the world can't smush that out of you. And they can't twist that out of you. And they can't defile that out of you. They can't make that go away. You are who he says that you are. And we're going to need that as we see this. And we're going to need that as we live out this life on earth for him. And so to him be the glory and the dominion forever. Amen. And behold, he is coming. 
I don't know if you thought about it all day long, but he is coming back, like literally coming back. It is not figurative. He is literally, Jesus will come back, and we will see in this book that the, I don't, the way he's going to work it out, every eye will be able to see, every ear will be able to hear. When he comes back, we will all know it, and he's not coming back to go to a cross. He's coming back to take over what was his all along. He is coming back not to give a whole bunch of high fives. He is coming back to, for justice. He is coming back to redeem his people and what is his. And then we have an aside starting in verse 9. In verses 9 through 11, we're going to see a couple of more things. We're going to see there's this tribulation that's going to happen and it is happening we're going to, and we're going to hear about a voice and the voice is important because we're going to see that more times throughout this book. So I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance uh, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on an island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit in, on the Lord's day and heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet that's, a, that's an Old Testament reference for sure. A, old, a, a loud voice like a trumpet. Moses heard a voice like that. Isaiah and Jeremiah all heard voices like that. And the voice said, write what you see in a book. Send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so what we, the, the one word that I want to highlight here is this word tribulation. John, we're going to see more tribulation as we go through this book. The word tribulation, it's a common word in the Bible. It's used 40 some odd times. The word simply means pressure. The word tribulation simply means pressure. We're going to see it multiple times in chapters 2 and 3. You're going to see it again in chapter 5. But the word tribulation means pressure. So let me just read that one line to you again and change it to that word. I, John, your brother and partner in the pressure and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. So John is in the pressure. He's been locked away as he writes this book. He writes this letter to these seven churches who are under pressure. And let me just make a quick little side note here. Some of you in the last year or so with some of the different political things that have gone on have really truly endured some pressure, some tribulation for being a Christian. Some of you in the last year or two have just whined and moaned and called it pressure. And, it, and what it really is is your preference. Your preferences have been squashed a little bit. And you're like, I'm under such great pressure for being a Christian. Now, you're under pressure probably for being like a Republican or something. Like, that's a little different than being under pressure for being a Christian. Don't confuse the two. That's really important for us to understand. We need to have eyes that are clear to be able to see when the real pressure comes, the real tribulation comes. And so, John heard... Now, this is important. Look in, in 9 through 11. What you, what you see is that um, 
John heard, look at verse 10, I heard behind me a loud voice, and then look at verse 12, it's going to say that he turned and saw. So oftentimes in this book, what's going to happen, imagine John's in a room when he gets this vision, and he's like looking out a window over here, and he hears something, and then he turns and he sees it. And several times what he's going to hear is going to look different than what he thought. And we're going to see that over and over in this book. And people get the book really messed up because they assume it's two different things when it's actually all related. So he's going to hear this voice. And now in verse 12, he's going to turn and he's going to see. So look at verse 12. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, here's what he saw, this book of sevens. I saw seven golden lampstands in the midst of the lampstands. I saw one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a gold sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in the furnace. His voice was like the roar. He held seven stars in his right hand, and from his mouth came a sharp-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in full strength, and when I saw him, I fell as though dead at his feet." When we think of Jesus, what's the first image that comes to your mind? Is it like the cross? Is it Jesus out of the tomb and Mary Magdalene is there? Is it Jesus, maybe you've watched, like you've binge watched, um, um, what's it called? Yeah, The Chosen, all over the place. Yeah, so you have. Yeah, maybe you've binge-watched uh, The Chosen, and you're like, I see Jesus tired after healing people all day. All accurate images. If this is John, the apostle, who's writing this to us, he saw Jesus in all those moments. And not once did he fall down as though dead at his feet. He hears a voice loud like a trumpet. He turns and sees who is speaking to him. And he is just shook. I mean, he doesn't know what to do with this. So let me just show you the, you won't, you won't, you'll be so surprised, the seven things that he sees. So of the seven things, and this is like small, you may have to zoom in if you're going to take a picture of this or something. So there's seven things. Behold King Jesus. There's a white robe with a golden sash. There's white hair. There's fiery eyes. There's bronze feet. There's voice like a waterfall. Let me just pause right there. Have you ever been to, like, have you ever been on a hike and you were supposed to get to a waterfall and when you start the hike, you're like, there's no waterfall. It does not exist. And like, you know, you're gone for like, maybe I'm talking like a long hike for like two hours in, you're like, no, there is no waterfall. And, uh, and then you turn a corner and the way the rocks are in that canyon, the way the layout of the, the topography of the place is, you start to hear something. And you're like, that's crazy. I, I couldn't hear that before. And the closer you get, the more loud and magnificent it becomes until you're at the base of the waterfall and you're kind of yelling at each other because it's hard to hear because of the roar of the water. That's the description that, that John is going to give of this voice. 
He's also got seven stars in his right hand, but that's a little different. He's got a sword that is a, uh, a, a sword that's like a, uh, a tongue in his mouth. And there is the sun in full strength on his face. And so here's what happens. What we see, Jesus is wearing a white robe. He is now the heavenly priest. He is no longer the one that is going to the cross. He's got that golden sash, which goes with that heavenly, that heavenly priest. He's got this white hair. Daniel 7, 9 talks about how he is the ancient of days. His eyes are fiery. That's Daniel 10, the judgment that is prophesied that he will cast. He's got bronze feet, and bronze feet symbolize moral purity that he stands on. He's got this waterfall voice. It's like the, the vision that Ezekiel has in chapter 43, verse 2. He's got these seven stars in his right hand that we'll come back to. And in his mouth is a sword. Isaiah 49, 2 and Isaiah 11, 4 talk about how the sword comes out of the mouth and it is deadly to those in front of it, but he protects those who are under him. There's seven descriptions here. The last is the sun in full strength coming from his face. That is a quote from Judges chapter 5, verse 31, where he says that the perfect warrior is like the sun in full radiance coming from their face. So what's the picture that John sees? He sees the perfect high priest. He sees the ancient of days. He sees the judgment of God. He sees the moral purity that he stands on, the power of his voice, the sword of justice and truth from his word that cuts those in front but protects those who in. And he sees the perfect warrior to bring about justice. This is a very different picture than the Jesus who went fishing with the boys on occasion. And so John falls down at his feet as though dead. And after he falls down as though dead, there's a hand that's on him. And in that voice, he says, fear not. I'm the first and the last, verse 18, and the living one. I died, John, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and hell. Therefore, write these things that you have seen and those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so he's going to explain one of the mysteries in this book. There are seven churches. And the spirit of God is in each church and he's going to send a messenger to each church and Jesus walks among the churches and he also holds them in his hand. And then he gets to chapter 2 and chapter 3, and we get the letters to these seven churches. And this is your, your homework between this week and next, and that is to read chapters 2 and 3. I told you we're going to treat this a little more like a living room, like a large living room Bible study. You need to read chapters 2 and 3 and see these seven letters written to the churches. And just remember, the one who's writing the letters, the new King Jesus who is no longer the suffering servant, but the ruler of kings. And he's walking among the churches. 
He's holding them together. His spirit is there. He's got a message for each church. And I'll just give you a, a brief synopsis. In Revelation chapter 2, the first church, the church at Ephesus, that's the famous one that you've heard. They had good orthopraxy. And they had no love. That's the one where he says, you've lost your first love. And he says, repent and do the things you did at first. And then there's a word, a word in verse 8, conquerors. He says, if you do this, you'll be a conqueror. You'll see that verse in verse 11 of chapter 2. You'll see it again in verse 17 in chapter 2. Again in verse 26 in chapter 2. In chapter 3, you'll see it in verse 5. You'll see it in verse 12. And you'll see it in verse 21. To all seven churches, he says, if you do these things, you will be a conqueror. And the rest of the book unpacks what it means to be a conqueror. That's where we're headed over these next few weeks is what does it look like to be a conqueror? The church in Smyrna, they have real tribulation that's coming and there's an encouragement to hold on. The church in Pergamum, they're living in darkness, but darkness is no excuse for selling out. The church in Thyatira, you need to be careful who you let influence you. Compromise weakens the whole church. You keep going. The church in Sardis, the church in Philadelphia, the church in Laodicea, all of these churches have been given a message. The last one is one I think is probably most applicable to us, the church in Laodicea. And they are told to fear the snares of wealth, success, and leisure. Those are the things that will lull you to sleep and ultimately put you to death. As I was thinking through all of this, I did ask myself, well, first I asked, what would Jesus say to other churches around us? And that was easy. I was like, oh, if Jesus came to these other churches, he would say, oh, you're doing this pretty good? But I got a problem with this and this and this. And like, I could list them pretty quick. And then I was driving in the car and I was like, what would he say to us? And I thought, well, that's too convicting. Let's move on. <laughs> if the pressure is coming, the tribulation, and if we have not died and gone to be with him through a naturally lived life, but if he comes back and we're still here, is he going to find us faithful? Will he find us a conqueror? I think we've just so misunderstood Jesus. I want to read you the lyrics to a Benjamin Hastings song. Will Carlisle and I were talking about this. Heather told me about this song. It's so good. Let me just read you these lyrics. He said, and he's talking to Jesus here, do you ever feel misunderstood? When you look at what this thing's become, he's talking about the church. How does something that sides with the least be the thing that excludes them the most? And I'm not trying to put words in your mouth because I fear that's where we got it wrong. But sometimes the Jesus I see seems so far from the Jesus I know. And just like these people I blame, 
Have I made you something you're not? Because I live off the good of your name. And in some ways, I profit the cross. And I'm scared if you walked in this church, you might flip all the tables and go. So would that same Jesus love all my merch? And I've tried with the best of my words to be true to who you really are. But I wonder how far I fell, I fell short. Do you recognize yourself in my songs? Because all that I want is the truth. And I hope my theology's close. But who could summarize infiniteness? To think I know only proves that I don't. A mystery I'll never quite get. That's the Jesus I know. The Jesus who stands as the ancient of days, the perfect priest, the judge who is coming on perfect moral purity, who holds the church and the angels and the messengers in his hand, who walks among the lampstands. If he were to walk in this door tonight, what would he say to us? What would he say about our social club? What would he say about our hunger for knowledge? What would he say about our life of leisure that we all, so, that we all seek so hard after? What would he say about our complaints? Would he even need to say grace and peace to you? There needs to be this hunger and longing for him to return and to be my all in all. I've had that guy read to me so many times, even in church. Yeah. It's the Bible reading guy. I love him. Are you on like 1.5 speed? Yeah. Okay. That's great. That's how you get through it. That's good. He would say like, I don't know what he would say. I'm not going to put words in his mouth if he walked in. Probably like, at least she has her Bible. Um, but as we wrap up tonight, this is just what I want to leave you with. I don't know what he would say to you. But I think a fair question for me to ask and for you to ask is, do I long for him to come so be it? Do I need the grace to persevere that he's offering these churches? Or am I spending my Christianity on myself at his cost? I think it's a really good time as we start this book to see how good we have it. And if those churches in chapters 2 and 3 had it like we have it, and a couple of them did, and they could come back and talk to us today, I think they would say, there is nothing more worthy than a life spent for him who spent his life for you. And so my hope and prayer for us tonight is that we will cry out, Lord, ancient of days, may I long for your filling and for your coming. And may my life be spent for you no matter the cost. Let me pray for us now. Lord, I thank you so much that we get to dig into this book. We get to visit the throne room next week. We get to see you in all of your splendor. But Lord, you might have a judgment for us now. 
And Father, you only discipline those you love. And so may we receive your judgment if you have it, Lord, because you are so good to us. We didn't save ourselves, Lord. You saved us. But you saved us because you have good works prepared for us. Not that we might spend our lives on ourselves. Lord, wake our sleeping hearts. Shake the dust off of us that we might hunger and thirst and long for you, Jesus. And live a life that is that of a conqueror. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.